So worship is a little different on mission trips. Uh, I don't know, if this is your first time, you're probably beginning to notice that. Um, if this is your third, fourth, fifth, six thousandth, six thousandth time, it's still different. It's different every year. I, I don't know why, for me, I get surprised, you know? Like, I'm even part of the planning of all this. We, I sit down with people, very smart people that know a lot about what they're doing, and um, I sit down and I talk with them about the elements we want to have in worship, and and I still, when I sit here and I and I sing, and I hear the band, and I hear y'all singing, it blows me away every time. And I've experienced this year after year after year, and yet it's still, every year is new uh, for me. So, like I've said, worship here is different. It's different because, for those of you that are in middle school, those of you in high school, your, your respective trips, worship comes at the end of a long day. It comes at the end of work. It comes at the end of frustration. It comes when you're so tired. It comes with fatigue. And I truly believe this. Part of the reason why worship is so powerful during Mission Week is because we come so tired. We come so physically drained that it exposes our soul to God's presence. That there's nothing left in us to fight him. And so we come and we're overwhelmed with his presence in this place. That's what I love about worship on mission trips. It's unlike any other place and it can't be duplicated. So I'm excited. This is only night one. I'm excited to worship with you. We are going to be in a series uh, this, these four days, five days. Uh, based on this parable and that you'll find in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You won't find it in John for whatever reason. John decided not to write this one down. Uh, but you'll find it there. And so you can read these at any time. Uh, you have a, a Bible on your phone. You may have brought a Bible, which is cool. Um, I think we put it in your booklet, so you can read it there too. You heard it uh, up here, which you will hear every single night. But I thought it was important. This is one of, this is one of my favorite parables. I think it's one of the most important parables Um, So we're going to go over this together, and I know we just heard it, but I just want to read it one more time, and I promise I won't do this to you every time uh, where you'll hear it and then we'll read it again. I just want to read it again one more time. And so if you have a Bible on your phone, you want to look at it, that's fine. If not, just listen very carefully. This is in Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 
If you were to continue reading there, you'll find here in verse 10, the disciples a little confused, looking at Jesus, and they say, uh, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, this is a very, and it's, it's, it's quite long. It's most of, the, most of the chapter. It's very interesting. I really, I invite you when you get back to continue reading this. But this is where we're going to start. We've got to have a place to start, and we've got four more days. So we've got, we got a while to get to it. But this is where we're going to start. And we, we selected this theme, this parable, this scripture, because of what it has to offer us. This, this parable is so rich in meaning that we're going to be able to spend five nights, five days unpacking this. And I truly believe that if we heed the words in this parable that Jesus told, that it has life-changing consequences. So, let's start with a few questions, right? First question, the disciples asked it, right? We don't even have to ask. The disciples asked. They say, Jesus, why do you speak to these people in parables? This is confusing, right? You're supposed to be the Messiah. We're trying to get connected with God. And you're talking about seeds and a gardener? What the heck? Why don't you just come out and say it? Why don't you just tell the people what you want them to know, right? Why do you speak to these people in parables? And Jesus says, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have not been revealed to them. That's why I'm going to speak in parables, so that I might reveal the secrets of the kingdom. See, I feel like Jesus, and Jesus tells a lot of parables, and I love them because they're stories, they're vivid, right? Nobody likes to just be told, here's, here's the rules, here's what happened. But when they can paint a picture for you of what something is like, or how something is supposed to be, it makes a lot more sense. We have really good imaginations. We're, we're visual creatures. We like to see things. That's why Jesus does this. He wants to reveal stuff to people. And what he wants to reveal are the secrets to the kingdom of heaven. This is supposed to be, I mean, the kingdom of heaven, this is like at the end. Like this is what we're trying to get to, right? And I'm revealing the secrets in here. I'm telling you right now, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. This is the place that we all want to end up. This is the thing that we're all striving for, that we're all working for, the kingdom of heaven. And here it is. Which leads to another question. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? We're talking about eternity. We're talking about God's ultimate plan and will for our lives in this world. So why a garden? Why seeds and plants? Right? This is supposed to be a kingdom. Castles, swords, shields. That's what I think of in kingdom. Horses and knights. And yet a garden. What I think is interesting is that anytime Jesus mentions a garden, which he does a couple times, that I think he's trying to draw our attention back to a different garden. A garden that you find in the very beginning of your Bible. In Genesis. It's the most famous garden in the Bible, right? I feel like Jesus, anytime he mentions a garden, especially in this parable where he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's really trying to draw your attention back to Eden. And Eden 
represents how things ought to be. Right? It was the beginning and God created, you know, the water, he created the land, he created the sun, he created the moon, he created animals, he created Adam and he created Eve and he called it good. And they lived in harmony in this Eden, in this garden, right? Until we figured out some way to mess that up. And ever since that point, I believe God is trying to get us back to Eden. Not necessarily a physical place, but just back to the way things ought to be, the way God intended things to be. So that's an important note. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the way things ought to be. Back when God first created everything, that's what he wants to draw us back to, is this garden, this perfection. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing I think is interesting. These are just, these are just observations, right? I'm no biblical scholar, but as I read, this is what I observe. That kingdoms are something that are def- that's defended. You defend a kingdom and gardens are tended. Maybe looking at me cross like, well, so what? That sounds really super boring. Kingdoms are defended and gardens are tended. Here's why I think that's important. A lot of times people try so hard to just defend their faith. I have these rules and I'm just going to defend it. I don't want anything new coming in here. I build up these walls, right? That's what a kingdom does. They build up walls to keep people out and only let certain people in. That's, that's what kingdoms are. They defend, right? And you have to defend your kingdom, but yet a garden is tended. It's active. You get in there. You get your hands dirty, right? You invite people in. You invite other living beings into your garden, Gardens are tended. It's a much more positive experience and influence. That's a garden. It's another reason I think. A garden, to me, it's, it's life, right? A kingdom is just bricks and mortar and walls, but a garden is life, growing with other life and growing with life, with life, with life. Talking about a garden speaks of something organic, and living, and not cold and stone. See, a lot of times when we picture the kingdom of heaven, we picture this thing in the, at the end of the world, right, where it's, the world is just ended, and everybody escapes and evacuates to some place that's safe, and we call it heaven, right, and the world is just destroyed. And I truly believe that in Jesus' time, when he's talking about the end of the world, that Jesus did not expect the end of the world in the sense of destruction of the cosmos. He expected a divine, transforming miracle. And that's what happens in gardens. Things transform, things grow, things evolve, things produce. That's what a garden is. That's why I think Jesus spoke about a garden. Something as boring and dull as a garden suddenly becomes interesting and transforming. This is why Jesus talks about a garden. So, leads us to other questions, right? We've talked about the parables. We've talked about the garden. Then why? Who's the sower, right? Who's the sower person? This is going to be the key for us kind of unlocking the meaning of this parable, right? There's three things that we really need to unlock. Who is the sower? What is this seed? What does it represent? And then what's the, what's the importance of the soil? The type of ground it lands on, right? Because different things happen there. So we'll start with the sower, right? This is going to be an easy one. You could probably take a guess. The sower is God. God is the sower. In this story, when you read the story of the gardener or the sower, 
Picture God. That's who this is. But the question I have, here's what's funny. The question I have is I picture this gardener, and he's out there, and you have a path, right, like a sidewalk. You have a place with just a bunch of rocks. You have a place with all these weeds. And then you have, like, this super good soil, right? And the gardener is just throwing it everywhere. Carelessly, just, man, there's some over there, and there's some over there. I'll throw it on the sidewalk, see what happens. Seems pretty careless to me, right? Why, why would a gardener do that, right? If they knew anything, if they were a gardener worth their weight, they wouldn't do that. They would meticulously plan exactly where seed goes, right? They would probably have a detailed map, a diagram of where they want each individual seed and how their garden is going to look and where things are going to grow and to make sure this has enough room, and etc. And yet this gardener is just throwing it, just throwing it out. Wherever it lands, I want it to go. I want it to be everywhere. I think the key takeaway here is this, this sower is generous. This sower is full of grace. This sower does not discriminate based on who is out. He just throws the seed everywhere. Which leads us to the next question. What's the seed? The seed, and you can interpret this two ways, and we're going to do it both ways. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God, which, if you read in the book of John, at the very beginning, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Talking about Jesus. So the way I see this, the way I interpret this, is that the seed is really God's word made flesh, right? It's, it's the person of Jesus. It's God's truth on earth. And God took that seed and generously gave it to everyone, right? And here's the important thing to know, is that this seed has great potential. So we know the generosity of the gardener, and we know the power of the seed, right? You have seed, right? Little, not doing much. It's hard. Probably doesn't taste very good. And yet... You put this stuff in the ground and a little seed like this can turn into these monstrous trees, right? The greatest living thing, biggest living thing on earth is like the giant sequoia or something like that, right? It's a tree that came from something tiny, like a seed, the greatest living thing. Seeds have great potential and great power, as does Christ, as does God's truth. Great potential and great power. All it needs is somewhere to take root, which brings us to the soil. The soil is your heart. Now, I don't mean your heart as in the physical thing that's beating in your chest that's keeping you alive right now. I'm talking like the center of your being. The center of who you are. That's your heart. The soil is your heart. This is where the seed is coming to rest. This is where the seed is supposed to take root. Your heart is the birthplace of God's kingdom. This is where God wants to build his kingdom, is inside each and every one of us. Not some castle up in the clouds, but with you. 
sitting right here in this room. And every single one of you, those of you that are really excited about this, those of you that are thinking, man, I didn't know that they were going to have church here. (laughs) I got invited by a friend. I was excited about power tools. I I didn't want to come to church. (laughs) I'm surprised. You got to go every night. (laughs) I promise to try to make it interesting every night. But that, even them, everybody, everybody in this room can be a part of the growing of God's kingdom. Your heart is the birthplace of that. Now, this is different than just monitoring behavior, right? There's, there's, there's two different ways to look at this. Your heart, it, it could either be, uh, I monitor my, my behavior, right? I, I come to church and I, and I try to do my best and I do good things. Or it's a complete transformation and renovation of the center of your being. The reason I want to differentiate the two is that your behavior isn't always a good indicator of what's going on inside you. A lot of you can probably identify with this, right? Have you, have you ever tried to put on a brave face or a good show when inside things are just tore up? Have you ever had this inner turmoil going on or this, this guilt or this anger and on the outside, you're trying your best to smile, you're trying your best to keep up with appearances, right? I, I keep going to church and I'm still talking to my friends and I'm, and I'm trying to look like everything's normal, yet inside is a storm. Our behavior isn't always a good indicator of our heart. We want to transform this because our heart is the center of our entire being. If you read in Proverbs, there's a book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs is one of the best books if you're new to the Bible and you just want to read stuff. It's got the most practical stuff in there. I feel like anybody can start reading the Proverbs and get something out of it, right? Without having to do too much digging. The Proverbs are great. So in the Proverbs, chapter four, it says this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The book of Proverbs written, uh, written by a person, like a human being. This wasn't God like scribing on the walls of a mountain, right? And somebody chiseled them out and came out. Like this is a person who lived, a godly person who lived and wrote things down and learned. You know what, man? There was a time in my life where I wasn't guarding my heart and I noticed a difference in my life. And from now on, the most important thing to me is to protect my heart. Because everything I do, everything I am flows from that. Your heart is the center of who you are. And that's where God wants to build his kingdom. Now, what's this lead us to? So what are we going to do the rest of the, the week, right? That's, that's it. That's all you need to know. All done. Here's what we're going to talk about. The first is this truth, that God is building his kingdom, not with bricks, but with life. Your life. God builds his kingdom with people like you. Not with inanimate objects and bricks, it's with people. This is where God's kingdom lies, right? In this very room. Here's the next thing. God wants everyone to be in on it, right? We talked about the generosity of the sower, right? He's, he's throwing the seed out everywhere. 
He wants everybody to be in on it. But here's the truth for tonight, is that the part you play in the growing of God's kingdom, the part you play is determined by the condition of your heart. Just like the chances of any seed growing in a garden is determined by the condition of the soil that it's planted in, the part you play in the growing of God's kingdom is going to be determined by the condition of your heart. So here's what we're going to do each night. Each night we're going to take a look at this parable. We're going to take a look at the different types of soil that we find that God's throwing a seed out to. And then we're going to do three things with that. The first thing we're going to do is try to identify what may be keeping us from growing to our potential. It may be nothing. Man, you may be on cloud nine right now, glowing, growing up, right, with God. But maybe not. Maybe you feel a little stunted. Maybe you're having trouble getting out of the gate. Maybe you find yourself not really progressing spiritually. Maybe you find yourself in a rut. Maybe last year you were here in this very seat and you said, you know what, God, it's time to turn my life around. I'm done with the old me. I've experienced you. And that's who I want to be. And now you're sitting here in this room thinking the exact same thing. Maybe it was a little harder than you thought once you left mission trip and you got back into school and you got back with your old friends. Maybe it was a little more difficult than you thought. And you find yourself backtracking again. What we're going to do is identify the type of soil we have and what may be keeping us from growing. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to get some instruction on the proper preparation, right, of our soil. Get some instruction on how to properly prepare our hearts to receive Christ, to receive truth, and to begin to grow. We're going to identify who we are. We're going to get some instruction on how to prepare ourselves. And hopefully, thirdly, we'll be inspired to persevere in our production. We're going to identify who we are. We're going to get instruction on how to prepare. And we're going to be inspired to produce. Because the fruit as we'll find out on Thursday night. The fruit is what's important. The fruit is what's important. So we want to be inspired to persevere in our production. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to close this out tonight. After I'm done with my prayer, there's going to be um, a a song for us to sing. There's also going to be a time of reflection. So each night I want you to bring your booklet. There's pins in these seats, I think. And I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Each night, and you'll uh, you'll get to write down how God is speaking to you tonight. So if you took notes, what's your main takeaway? What's the one thing that God spoke to you tonight that you're going to take with you to bed? that you're going to pray about tonight when you get back to bed. All right, so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to give you a couple minutes to reflect 
Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for the gathering of these students and adults, God, who are literally giving their lives up this week to pour out your love on others. God, we will serve in so many ways. None of them will be the same, God, yet they are all for you. God, help us to remember that mission trip and service, God, is about people, not about projects. Though we are here to do a job, what's most important are the relationships that we build with our neighbors. God, in the way that we can lead those neighbors to be in relationship with you. God, tonight, we're excited about the many ways you're going to speak to us, about the way your presence is going to be made known to us, about the truth we're going to learn, God, and the ways that we're going to grow. We pray that we remain open. God, that we begin doing the hard work of preparing our soil, God, of clearing out the garbage and getting ready to receive your truth. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.